What's in the bag? A shark or something? Put the bunny back in the box. This is Two Guys, Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. You are listening to The Quick Cage. And Frank, which Nick Cage movie are you going to tell us about tonight? So tonight we're going to discuss the 1992 comedy, uh, Honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> um, it's directed by Andrew Bergman, who we previously talked about on The Quick Cage for It Could Happen to You. Um, alongside uh, Nick stars James Caan. Sarah Jessica Parker, um, Pat Morita is in it. Uh, Seymour Cassell and Peter Boyle have um, minor roles. Uh, it's actually a lot of um, a lot of character actors that um, you know that you would recognize immediately from around this time. Uh, Anne Bancroft is in it. Tony Shalhoub is in it. Um, ben Stein is in it for like two minutes. Um, interesting fact: it actually has Bruno Mars. Um, hmm playing a child Elvis in it. <laughs> That's um, funny. Who sings a portion of I Can't Help Falling in Love With You, I think, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's why I'm um, looking it up now, yeah. <laughs> so, in addition to, like, the normal quick cage, you know, talk about what the movie's about, go over, you know, my thoughts on it, I, I kind of want to turn this into a dissertation on this is why I hate comedy, kind of. Okay. Because I think that this is a prime example of what I despise about movies that pretend to be like they're supposed to make you laugh. So mm-hmm. I haven't seen this movie in since probably 1993. Um, I think that either right. my parents rented it or for some reason I rented it. Um, maybe because I like Nick Cage at that point. Um, for some reason, I don't know. But for any anyway, like I saw this as a kid, like as a young teenager, and I have not seen it since. I haven't really thought about it. So when it came up for free on Tubi, I was super excited because I was like, "Oh well, this is awesome!" Because we're actually going to watch a Nick Cage comedy that I enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, and talk about it. So that's not what occurred because I fucking hated this movie. Um, so the general premise is that uh, Cage plays a. New York City private investigator um, who is engaged to the Sarah Jessica Parker character um, and Betsy is her name. Um, She's a second grade teacher. She's idealistic and happy and friendly. Um, Cage is a miserable kind of neurotic whiner but who has an unhealthy level of like self-confidence and also a really weird Oedipal complex where the movie opens with him on his mother's deathbed um, and his mother basically promising, making him promise that he'll never get married before she dies because she says that there's no one that will love you as much as your mom. And then she dies and then he tries to find someone that will love him as much as his mom. 
no, no, no. That's the thing. It's like he tells her outright. Like the first 15 minutes of this movie is basically him telling her the reasons why they should never get married because he's trying to like live this whatever, this demand of his mother's. Um, And there's a weird exchange where they talk about how he dreams about his mother naked, like vacuuming. So it really like pushes like that whole Oedipal thing. Yeah. But she is, I'm not a huge Sarah Jessica Parker fan. And like you and I have talked about her offline and I don't know how many times we've talked about her on the podcast, but I think that she kind of was ruined for me. Um, during the Sex in the City run, just because I kind of find Terry Bradshaw to be a deplorable character in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, but here she's beautiful and charming, and she has a good wit to her. Like it's probably the most well-written character in the whole movie, and he's just an absolute turd. So automatically, like your suspension of disbelief isn't there because, like, why is she with this guy? So he decides that they're just gonna. Like, she's basically telling him that he needs to shit or get off the pot. Like, he needs to make a decision. And he says, okay, let's fly to Vegas tomorrow. We're just going to get married. So there's no reason to put it off. Like, I love you. Like, let's go to Vegas and get married. So they do. So when they land in Vegas, as they're checking into their hotel, they are seen by um, the James Conn character, Tommy Corman who is a mafioso-connected, high-stakes gambler that's basically beloved in the casino for as much money as he wins and as much as he spends. And he reveals um, to uh, his sidekick, uh, Johnny Sandwich, I think is the guy's name or whatever, um, Mm -hmm. that Sarah Jessica Parker looks exactly like his ex-wife who died from melanoma. Um, because that's, that's very he, specific. Okay, well, that's, that's realism. There's a really long speech about he never should have let her stay in the sun. He should have <laughs> brought her out of the sun. That skin was like leather at the end. I mean, it's it's incredibly off putting. Like the whole fucking movie. <laughs> so James Con concocts a plan where he's going to get Nick Cage to basically give him Sarah Jessica Parker. So they're poolside, um, and Nick Cage gets this envelope delivered to him that's a welcome to the hotel poker game um, for new arrivals at the hotel, which even though they're there to get married and that's what they're supposed to do, Nick Cage is like, oh, we can wait a couple hours. Like, you know, you relax by the pool. I'm going to go play poker. Because Jack Singer, Nick Cage's character, is an absolute fucking turd, right? Mm -hmm. So he goes to this poker game, and at this poker game, it's, um, you know, James Conn is there, Seymour Cassell is there, um, there's a Asian Elvis there. Um, so they play this poker game, and it's like a $1,000 voucher that Cage has, and he loses it all pretty much right away. So as he's getting ready to leave, and he's like, you know, I'm sorry, guys, I gotta go, I gotta get back to my wife, James Conn is like, no, no, no. Like, you love to play poker. You're really good at it. You need to stay and just keep playing. Like, you've just had some bad luck. And Cage is like, seriously, I don't have any money left. Like, I really need to go and get married. And he's like, no, 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 no. Like, I'll front you the money. Like, come on. Like, it'll be on me. Just, like, play. And you'll win it back, I guarantee. So, throughout the course of the game, Cage is up, you know, big or whatever. So, he goes all in. He has a straight flush. 
And he goes all in, but James Conn, who's a shyster, has a royal plus. So James Conn wins. And Nick Cage is all of a sudden in hock for 65 grand. Okay. So Conn is basically like, look, instead of paying me the money back, why don't you let me spend the weekend with your girlfriend? And Nick Cage is basically like, um, I got to make sure it's okay with her, but cool. So he goes this, back. So hold on. When did an indecent proposal come out? Right. Uh, see, you're, you're, you're stealing my shit. Was, I'm getting to that. Okay. But I mean, you're right. Like that's basically it's what the year after. Is. It's the year after. So this is before that. Okay. Is indecent proposal, but funny, but not funny. Mm. So Nick Cage convinces Sarah Jessica Parker to do this. And she's like, I don't think it's a good idea. You need to find some other way out of it. Like, I think it's really like you're basically making me a whore at this point. And he's like, no, 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 don't think about it like that. You don't have to do anything with him. You just have to spend the weekend with him. And then you come back on Monday. And she's like, right, but like, I'm a whore if I do that. No, 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 don't don't worry about it. (laughs) So finally, she says, fine, if this is what's going to get you out of debt, and this is all I have to do, then let's do it. So then James Conn is like, right, well, we're going to Hawaii. We might not be back till Wednesday. And Nick Cage just lets them go. Like, you know, so they leave, go to Hawaii. James Conn is, like, using his connections to basically, like, thwart Nick Cage so he can't come talk to her before she leaves. I mean, he's a complete fucking sociopath, mm-hmm. James Conn. And you're supposed to like James Conn in this movie, too, by the way. But just a complete scuzzball of sleaze. Like, he's telling, like, he lies to Sarah Jessica Parker about, you know, whatever, like, the circumstances of the bet. So they go to Hawaii. And they start spending time together. And Khan is, like, charming and smooth. And he's got this beautiful, like, beach house that he owns. And he's a celebrity on the island they're at because he has so much money. And so she starts to fall for him. So they're on a fucking, um, that's not a catamaran. It's like the fucking, uh, fucking dreadnought boat from, um, G.I. Joe. And he kisses her and she lets him, lets him kiss her. Uh-huh. And he's like, oh, you know, I love my wife so much. And, you know. Jack is he's he seems like a nice guy, but he's going nowhere. He's got no ambition. He doesn't really love you. Like if he loved you, why would he let you go away with another man? Like he's disgusting. And she's like, yeah, you know, you're kind of right. And you know what? He is kind of right. But he's a turd. So the entire time, Nicholas Cage is like trying to find. He goes through all these things, uses his private detective skills to like find out where Tommy lives on the island. So he gets a flight and goes to Hawaii and the whole time um, Johnny Sandwich is like keeping tabs on him, like and calling Tommy and saying like, hey, this is what he's doing. So as soon as um, Jack lands in Hawaii, Pat Morita takes him on some ridiculous like fool's errand, like away from where Tommy is. And there's this weird scene where the chief of the island, um, played by Peter Boyle, who's like gay, I guess. Like, Pat Morita takes Jack to him, and he sings excerpts from South Pacific to him. Mm -hmm. Really weird, but it's, like, not, like, funny weird. Like, it's just weird weird. So, finally, Nicolas Cage gets away and tracks them down, where they're on a romantic night, like, on this beachside country club. And Nicolas Cage is screaming... Betsy's name but she thinks it's just the wind and him and Tommy get in a fight on the golf course and Tommy makes it seem like Nick Cage assaulted him so Nick Cage goes to jail so in the meantime Tommy has told Betsy that 
the bet was only $3,000. Like, he would have just forgiven it, but Nick Cage insisted on putting her up as collateral, and, like, it was Cage's idea because he was so sure he was going to win, and how, like, he would never do that, and they should get married. So basically, Tommy at one point is like, you know what, let's just fly to Vegas right now, and you and I will get married. And she's like, well, okay. Like, cool, that's a good idea. So in one, like, scene, they just almost completely destroy, like, all the goodwill you have for Sarah Jessica Parker. Mm-hmm. Well, really between two scenes, because she still is, like, charming and friendly, and she says, you know, I can't, like, I have feelings for for Jack, like, you're, you know, I need to, like, at least talk to him and work things out before I can agree to anything, and then she's like, no, 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 you're right, let's go. So they fly to Vegas, and he calls somebody, like, the only flight that Nick Cage can get goes to San Diego or some shit. And then he needs to find a connecting flight to Vegas. But Tommy, with his infinite connections, calls somebody at San Diego and they're like, hey, fuck this man over. So they all of a sudden cancel a flight that would probably affect like dozens of other people just because this fucking gambler told him to do it. It's fucking dumb. Mm-hmm. So finally, Nick Cage finds this plane that's full of Elvises and they're going to skydive over Vegas. So Sarah Jessica Parker kind of gets cold feet about marrying Tommy, um, dresses up like a showgirl so her cleavage is all exposed. I think that's really the only point for that to happen, but it's like so she can disguise herself. So then Nick Cage, Jack parachutes in and like lands and she's like, oh my God, you jumped out of a plane for me. So romantic. And he's like, I love you. I've been frantic looking for you for days. We need to get married right now. So then him and all the Elvises go to the fucking quickie whatever chapel and get married, and that's the movie. So let me tell you. Fucking. You're supposed to laugh. First of all. I'm getting really angry as I think about this shit. One of the biggest problems I have with comedy is that typically, especially from like this era of comedy, but it still persists today is you meet a person who is one of the absolute worst characters ever put to film in terms of their personality, their morality, their interactions with other humans, you know, their general comportment. Like, they just make terrible people, right? And that's your protagonist. Right. Like, a character that would be believable as a villain in other movies, and even then would be cartoonish, is supposed to be the person that you're rooting for to somehow like overcome whatever fucking in- infinitely awful personality traits that they have and realize that they were wrong about the entire way they lived their life. <clears throat> but that's fucking unbelievable. Like that it's so fucking dumb. And like you never want the like I want I want him to fail. Like the whole time I'm thinking I wish that she would just like leave both these schlubs and go somewhere else and like not be with like either of them. Like, right. I couldn't believe that I was rooting for Sarah Jessica Parker in a movie <laughs> to just make the right decision. And honestly, it's funny because like she kind of does the same thing on Sex and the City for whatever fucking 10 seasons. Right. <clears throat> in the sense of like, you know, big and I don't know, whatever other dudes she's dating in that show. Like, all these people that like, treat her poorly and make bad decisions and can't well, commit right well because even like what's his name like uh the one guy that was in uh my 
big fat Greek wedding. Um, I can't remember his name, Corbin or something like that. Is that his name? The actor? Yeah, yeah. Like that that guy was an asshole too, even though he's better than most of them. Um right. was Brishnikov, right? Like he was like the is that who I'm thinking of? Am I thinking of the right guy? Varishnikov is in it, yeah. Yeah, like, he's in, like, the last season or next to last season. Like, um, that was, like, the best relationship she ever had. And she, like, uh, you know, uh, ruined the whole thing and abandoned it um, to go back to Big. Um, it was kind of like the final indictment of that character, honestly. Right. So, anyway. So, <laughs> picture that just spread out over, right. I don't know, 100 minutes, roughly, whatever. Right. James Kahn, who is this older guy uses subterfuge and guile and manipulation to try and trick this young woman mm-hmm. into marrying him. Like he's an old man. He's like, I mean, I don't know like how old they never, I don't think they ever say how old he is, but he's in at least like his fifties or whatever. And she's like, look, I want kids. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. We'll start on that on the honeymoon. <laughs> and he's like kissing her neck and kissing her shoulder and like rubbing her and stuff. And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, it's so fucking creepy. Yeah. So you have these two men who are both awful fucking human beings and this woman who's caught in between them and somehow you're supposed to root for the one awful guy to because he realizes and honestly the only reason he realizes that he wants to marry her is because he thinks he's going to lose her. So in like like as an armchair like you know like analysis of this dude it's not necessarily that he loves her. He just can't stand the idea of not having her. Right. So, of course, he's willing to do all these things to try and get her back because he's sick about the idea of someone else possessing her when he feels like he should be the one to possess her. This feels like a movie, movie you would see in the 40s or something like that. I mean, But at least then, like, you could say, like, well, you know, they were had no fucking... Like idea about equality or well, that's like what well, that, that's the, right. That's what that's the point I'm making is it feels like it's something from the 40s and also in the 40s you probably I'm surely would have had better dialogue too. But. Oh yeah. Um. So. Uh, so anyway, so I'm watching this movie and like you you brought it up and again like I'm thinking I'm basically watching a decent proposal mm-hmm. and I'm watching a decent proposal which is a drama slash thriller. I'm not watching it, but like if I'm watching that, it's a drama thriller. And those characters are somehow less despicable than these characters I'm watching in this quote unquote like lighthearted comedy romp. And I was like, this is why fucking comedy sucks. Because you're supposed to laugh at this shit, but it's not funny. But there's people that are laughing at this movie. So what does that say about those people? All right. So something about I'm at least horrified. Right. Right. And it's like, it's all so cheap because it's all just about tricking you emotionally into disliking something about a person so you can like it when they do the opposite later. And it's like imaginary character growth or development. And it's not. It's just fucking fake. It's all just goddamn manipulation by making people as disgusting as possible. And how many goddamn comedies does that shit happen? You know, uh, I mean, it, it happens fuck. in a it happens in a lot. That doesn't mean that like comedies themselves are bad, though. That's like a what, synecdoche or whatever. Like the part that, of the I'm whole. Fine with, like, I'm fine with synecdoche. I'm fine with it. <laughs> like, there's I'll good comedies all, out there. Look, I'll make all the goddamn logical like 
fallacies in the world to tell you that I can't stand watching goddamn comedies. It sounds like it's just like a bad movie. movie. That's all it sounds like. It sounds like it a bad movie. It is a bad movie. But here's the problem is that it, people liked it. Right. Like this motherfucker has a Rotten Tomato score of 63% on Rotten, you know, of, from critics. Right. And the critical consensus is generally a good movie. Like, what are those fucking people watching? Well, I mean, like, how do you watch it and say, like, oh, yeah, you know, I had a good time? Like, no. It took me three sittings to watch this fucking movie. <laughs> Look, I, I would I would be interested to know what the contemporaneous reviews were. We're talking what almost thirty years ago, um, versus what people would say today, though. The thing ultimately is, I felt like there was a lot of really like uncomfortable things in it, mm-hmm. but ultimately, Sarah Jessica Parker controls her own destiny. Like, she's not a typical, you know, like, she's just doing what the man says. Like, she's making her own choices consistently. Right. And in the end, she's the one that makes the absolute choice of who to be with. Like, she's not tricked or whatever, but she basically lets herself get kidnapped. Right. I don't know. It's just, man, I can't even explain to you, like... You know what's really interesting is Bergman is, uh... Uh, how old was he at that time so he was like around 40 at this time so he's um he's a he's a baby boomer um what's interesting is i was looking up stuff about him here uh he 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 has a phd in american history uh from university of wisconsin madison and his dissertation was on a study of depression era hollywood films um that's what this sounds like only modernized uh, and put it in like a current setting. That's what exactly what it sounds like. I mean, it's basically a tone deaf. um, What's his name? Uh, Shit. Why? Why can't? Whenever time I want to talk about this dude, I can't remember it. Um, Preston Sturgis movie, basically. Right. Yeah. So listen, like I have, I don't know if my emotional swing. in preparation for a quick cage has ever been as great as it was. Hmm. Look, I, I started watching this movie on motherfucking Saturday (laughs) and I watched 20 minutes and I stopped and I was like, I can't go on. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm not in the right mindset. Maybe I need to like, you know, come into it fresh. So I started it over on Sunday. I watched a half hour and I said, motherfucker, like I can't watch this movie. This movie is so angersome. Like I was so mad. And finally, last night, I was like, fuck it, I'm just going to finish it so we can just get it out of the way because I don't want to have to, like, try and watch something else or right. dig into the depths, talk about rage or some shit. Mm-hmm. Or um, Captain Corelli's mandolin, which you're never going to get to hear about. That's right. 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 Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how keen listeners of the quick cage are in terms of like understanding your tone. I know you well enough to know that like you're trying to be like kind of even keeled and professional, but like I understand your tone well enough to know that you really fucking hate this movie and it really offended you a lot. It, it's pretty close to the worst movie I've watched on the quick cage. I think. 
just is, in terms it, is, of like, is it the worst right so here here's my question is it the worst movie in the sense of like the content of the film no or... it's filmed it's filmed fine i mean there's there's actually some really clever ways that bergman sets up the premise especially in the way that he films Khan, who's like you know kind of the big man but you can tell that he's got some emptiness in him and he's walking around the casino and just sort of being like sort of condescending to Tony Shalhoub, but then like glad handing and he's just kind of a dick. But then when he sees Sarah Jessica Parker, like he melts and you get this genuine, like kind of like little boy, like crush feeling out of him. Mm-hmm. And there's some really beautiful stuff in Hawaii. There's some really well-filmed stuff in Vegas. Like Bergman is not an incompetent director, but it's so many things like, Every, like, sweet bite of that apple's got, like, a worm fucking crawling all over your goddamn mouth. <laughs> and you just gotta, like, like you gotta push through it. Like, it's awful. Yeah. So awful, man. What? And I was... Mm. Uh, how was the... If you can consider this for a second, how was the cinematography in this movie? Like I said, like, there's some, like, some well-filmed stuff. Yeah. Because if you, if you don't mind, uh, look that guy up. Um Fraker. Um, and just look through his filmography. It is the weirdest damn filmography you'll ever see in your entire life as a cinematographer. It ranges from like top 100 great movies to like, um, uh, like the, 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 the drizzling shits. Uh, that's pretty interesting. Wait until you get further down. Oh man, he did Sharky's Machine. And the best little whorehouse in Texas. Like, I already love this dude. You know what, though? Who were we talking about the other day? We were doing a podcast and we were talking about somebody. Just just so everybody understands here, this guy did Rosemary's Baby, the cinematography, Bullet, right? Um, One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest. I know Frank hates this movie, but Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like, there's Not like who's sh- nest either, but but uh, but uh, from a filmmaking standpoint, like yeah, that's, yeah. that's different than the movie itself. Like uh, like this guy's done like a lot of shit, but like you know, and then it's like there's also st- like like he has the Father of the Bride Part Two on his filmography, and, and the Island of Doctor Moreau, and yeah. Vegas Vacation, and Street Fighter. Before that, that is a fucking <laughs> run right there. Street Fighter, Father of the Bride Part Two, Island Doctor Moreau, and Vegas Vacation. Let, like, let me let. Let, let me say something controversial for a second. Okay. Street Fighter is moderately underrated. Like, everyone hates Street Fighter, but mm-hmm. people hate Street Fighter because it's an incredibly terrible <laughs> film adaptation of a video game series. Mm-hmm. If you watch Street Fighter in a vacuum, it's really not that bad. Okay. Maybe, Maybe we'll, in, like, a 90s action movie. Maybe we'll do that on a second watch uh, I'm someday. You, I'm going to make you watch it. Um... But this he's guy also did Vegas. He he yeah he has. Um, he's also done shit that like weird shit that like I like. Um, that is not considered that good. Like um, uh, I saw in the eighties, like Space Camp. I was a big fan of when I was a kid. Um, Space Camp's a movie. And then Burglar, because I love all the Whoopi stuff from the eighties. Um, even though it's a lot of it's not good, but um, like I don't, he did I don't that. What? I don't believe that's a good movie, but okay. 
Uh, what about Jump and Jack Flash? You think that's a good movie? I think it's better than Bergman. <laughs> I am really, I am really not a fan of Whoopi Goldberg. So, mm. yeah. See, and I, you know I was... why it is because she's always in comedies. <laughs> right. Right. I'm trying to make me laugh, Whoopi. Okay, so I have a couple things I want to bring up to you real quick. Um, I found an article from in the LA Times from 92 um, okay. that's discussing the um, indecent proposal honeymoon in Vegas thing and kind of like trying to figure out like how the hell did this happen? And uh, their, their, their final conclusion is that there's no clear-cut answer. Um, it seems that the facts are that it's just nothing more than a fluke. Um, so the history of this is Honeymoon in Vegas was conceived after Indecent Proposal because Indecent Proposal is based on a book um, of the same name by Jack Englehard, which was published in 88 and optioned for screen development in May of 89. Um, after 18 months of false starts in October of 90, uh, Amy Holden Jones is hired to write the screenplay loosely based on the novel. Uh, Jones turned in her initial draft in January of 91. The project was bought soon after by Paramount. Indecent Proposal became a go when Adrian Lynn signed on um, to direct, and that's in the summer of 91. Months of rewrites, filming began in June um, of that year. And then Honeymoon in Vegas, um, Bergman turned in his spec screenplay in January 91. So about four, five to six months before... Um, Lynn signed on for Indecent Proposal, and then it was bought by Castle Rock and rushed into pre-production. Shooting began in August of 91, so they started filming a month separate from one another. Um, and actually, it started shooting while Indecent Proposal was still being rewritten at um, part of it. Um, so they learned of each other's existence, apparently, the films, and um, the camps reacted indifferently, sources say. <laughs> um... This isn't surprising to the people in the industry um, that something like this happened. According to various writers, agents, producers, the subconscious sharing of the same idea is routine. In the final analysis, nobody seems to know who thought up anything first. It's like trying to find the waterheads of the Nile, remarks one Castle Rock insider. Some claim that the industry openly encourages similar ideas. Quote, this kind of thing happens a lot, says William Moore's story editor, Peter Parizzi. Um, If a writer is going to succeed with a script, he or she is continually told, write something familiar, but with a fresh twist. There really is a collective unconscious out there. It's just one big daisy chain. Uh, let's see. Then another another person blames, this is the last paragraph, another person blames the shared ideas on development executives. They all know each other and they all get together all the time sharing all the secrets <laughs> and the gossip. They're termites of the film industry, chewing on all the new plots, gnawing away at the foundations. Tell me that guy's not bitter. Yeah. So that's the that seems to be the only definitive um, article out there on this uh, controversy. I, could find I mean, isn't it possible that Andrew Bergman just kind of like read this book at some point and was like, "Hey, that can make a like sure. I can twist on that," or got drinks one night with some somebody who was like, "You heard the you know oh I'm you know working on like you know this deal or whatever and this is what it's roughly about and yeah I mean who knows 
regardless, it's a terrible fucking movie, and I hate Andrew Bergman for having made it. And now, I don't, I don't have any more comedies. I have at least one more Nick Cage comedy, but I'm actually looking forward to this one too. A Are we at one? Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. Um, look, I'm very familiar with this fucking filmography, Frank. Um, I I know what's going on here. You actually have 19 movies. Well, there's 19 episodes left if you combine all of those um, animated movies. Oh, yeah, um, that's happening. So there's 19 episodes left. But you have 18 movies and then all the animated movies. Um, I see the finish line. Yeah. It involves uh, me watching goddamn Birdie and fucking Firehawks or whatever the hell that movie Firebirds. Um, Firebirds. It also is you're watching Racing with the Moon, which I've never looked up before in my life. Um and the boy in blue, um, because you're eighty, eighty four to eighty six, like uh, you're you're behind. Um, it was early cage years. Still got Amos and Andrew. I have a feeling that's going to be really bad too. That's another comedy. No, that's comedy. You got two comedies, Frank. Oh, it's a comedy. Yep, yep. Damn right it is. Um. Is the Family Man a comedy? But you already watched that. Right? No, it's not. It's a um, romantic drama, I guess. Mm, okay. So you got Army of One and Amos Andrew left in terms of the comedies. Did you know that they made a musical out of this movie? Honey Moon. Yeah, I read that. Yeah, I don't care. It was. It was. I guess fairly well received. Um. Tony Chicago's Davis. a fucking musical too, so <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that in eleven months. Um, but uh, yeah, Tony Danza played the uh, um, James Conn role in the musical. Yeah, he's definitely creepy enough to pull that off. There's a song in it called "Out of the Sun." Which is sung apparently when he um, talks about his wife dying of uh, skin cancer. It's the poolside because he sees Sarah Jessica Parker by the pool and he's like, oh, got to get her out of the sun so she doesn't end up like um, Donna, I think is his wife, his dead wife's name. I mean, it's so fucking morbid too because the whole like point of the thing is that his wife passed away and this woman looks like her and he basically just wants to F a younger version of his wife. Right. Like, Oh, I'm going to do it different this time. I'm not going to let her go out in the sun all the time. Like that seriously is, is, is the driving plot point for the, like from the 15 minute mark to the 30 minute mark. Oh my God. I hate Nick Cage so much in this movie too. Hate him. It is a deplorable character. And, I don't know. Just like the the worst of like his sad sack every man performances in terms of like just loathsome. Yeah. So. So the lyric, the lyric, right? So, so real quick, the the beginning of the lyrics of the song is: "When we're young, we think that we're invincible. We act like we know all there is to know." We pop our pills or smoke our dope and never realize that Hope is just a visitor, a guest star on the show. <laughs> That's the beginning of Out of the Sun. 
And Andrew Bergman wrote this musical? Uh, well, he helped adapt it with um, somebody that's actually, like, writes songs. So it's probably that guy's fault rather than Bergman for, the, for those lyrics. Um, just jumping down, when she reclined, clouds disappeared. She smelled like coconuts from all the oil she smeared. <laughs> I should have gotten her out of the sun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somebody Ryan disappeared and smeared. That's I ain't, fan- I ain't, that's I ain't, fantastic. I ain't, I ain't laughing. <laughs> she was beautiful beyond compare, roasting like a chicken in her chair. <laughs> Look at how the color of her hair changes as the day burns on. She wore no copper tone. She wore no hat. The doctor swore they never saw a skin look like that, like a saddlebag. Oh, a saddlebag. That's that's actually almost a direct quote from the movie. <laughs> All right, so what are you scoring this thing? <clears throat> the Cage performance is like a four. I mean, it's not like the worst thing, but it's not a good thing. Uh, it, it, uh, what, maybe it's a three. I don't know. I really despise it a lot. Like, I really hate him in this movie. You know what? Let me talk about this. There's one. It's not even funny. But there's one, like, plot point that comes up a few times that made me chuckle a little bit. And there's this greasy, overweight, balding dude that's come to Nick Cage's um, detective agency because he thinks his wife is cheating with Mike Tyson. Mm. And Nick Cage is like, do you have a picture of your wife? And he shows Nick Cage this picture. And the woman's not, like, unattractive or hideous, but she's just kind of, like, a plain, like, not really made up, just, like, glasses, sort of, like, frumpy. Right. And Nick Cage is basically like, look, your wife's probably not having an affair with Mike Tyson, I'm just going to say. And the guy gets really angry, like, oh, you're making fun of me, like, you don't believe it, nobody believes it. It's like everybody says that she's having sex with like Tommy Frank Franchitti or whatever, but why would she be sleeping with a scumbag like that? Like it's got to be somebody great like the champ. Mm-hmm. So then later, when Nick Cage comes back to New York to investigate like where Tommy took um, Betsy, the guy comes back and starts talking about like it's this actually like really funny scene. It's the only only scene that like genuinely made me laugh in the movie where he's like he has a picture of Mike Tyson with his wife and it's an obvious like somebody just like cut a picture of Tyson's head out and put it on somebody else's body and he's like I can't even I can't even tell you what it's like that you you think about her and she's standing there looking out and all of a sudden he comes up behind her and he presses up against her like this and then she tilts her head back a little bit and gives out a laugh and like he goes on for like three or four minutes like describing this other man like basically like molesting his wife and Nick Cage is just like, just shut the fuck up and get out of here. <laughs> and it's like, it's it's one of the few times that I, or one, maybe the only time where I like legitimately chuckled during the entire like 96 minute runtime of this fucking travesty. Right. Uh, the movie itself is a two. It's a, it's an abysmal piece of shit and I hate it. Okay. Still not the lowest, but you gave something. What was you, the lowest? You, you gave a couple things a one at some point. Yeah, some things are really bad. You you gave two things a one at some point or another. Um, I can't remember what those are at this point, but um, 
tiresome, probably. Yeah. Um. So I do want to bring up another thing here real quick because it's like I didn't scroll far enough down here. So this was nominated by the Golden Globes that year for Best Comedy and Cage for Best Comic Actor. Right, I'm sure um, it was. So, so let me just pose this to you real quick. So musical comedy this year, the player won, by the way, um, and for this year. Okay. Um, but what was nominated was... That's funny. Um, so it's the player, Aladdin, Enchanted April, which I don't think I know what that is. Um, Mike Newell. Um, yeah, I have no idea. Some some Miranda Richardson um, movie. Um, yeah. <clears throat> makes sense. Honeymoon in Vegas and Sister Act, right? Um, and then for. Uh, for actor, it was Tim Robbins won for the player, but then it was Nicolas Cage, Billy Crystal, and Mr. Saturday Night, uh, Marcelo Mastriani uh, in Used People, and then Tim Robbins for Bob Roberts. That was the nominees for this year. Uh, so I'm looking at 1992 comedies here, and I'm not saying any of these are great movies, but like, let's just, I'm just going through these. So Wayne's World came out that year, which I guess just isn't well respected enough at the time by critics i i suppose to right. right white men Jun can't jump came out that year um and that's a better movie than any of like most of those movies that i just listed um yeah, I like white men can't jump yeah it, it, it's it's a good movie overall um oh stop my mom or shoot came out that year um that's your favorite movie <sighs> Um, I do have to watch that movie someday and force myself through it. Um, only movie I ever walked out on, like purposeful. Um, Stay tuned came out that year. That's 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 not a good movie. That's still better than some of those movies. Um, it's better than this movie. It's got to be after what you just described to me. Um, Cuffs is a better movie than it sounds like than this movie. Oh man, that's saying a lot. Oh, um here here so here's bad. another one that's really bad. This is not a good movie, but it sounds better than this movie, Captain Ron. Um Man, fuck Captain Ron. Is Captain Ron worse than this movie? I don't know. It's gotta be. <laughs> oh, here's one that's underrated that nobody ever gives any kind of credit to is Mr. Baseball, Tom Selleck movie. Um oh, that came I've out ever seen Mr. Baseball. It's it's I I liked it, you know, when I was 12 or 13. Yeah, or yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with it. Yeah. Um, oh, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Mom and Dad Save the World? That's got to be terrible, uh, right? No, 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 it's okay. Is it? Okay. I, 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 I remember liking it, but it's like, I'm looking at it now, I'm like, eww. Um, now, you know, when that, like, explores whatever, like, complete suspension of disbelief way, fantastical family comedy, you know, whatever, it's fine. Man Bites Dog is um is like a satirical comedy. Um, yeah, it's a black comedy. Yeah, no, that's good. I mean, but I guess it's foreign, so they're not going to like count that or whatever. But I mean, uh, House Sitter is on this list, and House Sitter is one of the worst fucking pieces of shit I ever seen. So I'm not, I, 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 I should mention it, but it's terrible, and it's probably worse than all those movies. Um, do you know what that movie is? No, I don't. Steve Martin and Goldie Hawn. Nope. 
uh, no idea. terrible. Cutting Edge is also that year, but that's just kind of like a romantic comedy, which I guess this is too that you're talking about. But that's that I have never seen that, but I have to assume it's bad. I think it has a cult following though. Is Singles a comedy? Nah. Okay. Nah. It's kind it's, of like a whiny Gen X version of a comedy, right? Well, let's 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 not throw around words we can't take back. Um, <laughs> Come on, you can't admit it, that our whole generation has like produced a bunch of whiny like Yeah, but they're optimistic whiners. That is, well, really? I guess. I don't know. In in singles at least. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. You're you're shitting on trying to shit on one of my favorite movies. <clears throat> And here's the thing. Oh, yeah, I forgot about this one. Like, because I just, it was so obvious, especially now that it's probably considered the best comedy of that year. I don't believe that. But um, My Cousin's Vinny came out that year. I don't care for that movie that much. Like, I think it's like uh, overdone and, um, you know, everything. But, like, that didn't get nominated for shit except for maybe. Hmm. Yeah, I don't see it on here at all all um i think it didn't get on i mean for anything and that's crazy considering how how many people actually do love that movie i'm still trying how how the fuck did this movie get nominated for anything frank what the one that we just talked about yes honeymoon in vegas like i'm telling you because i mean it's not a good year granted but still i maybe people are psychopaths or sociopaths like right. maybe the fucking foreign whatever press yeah whoever nominates the golden globes like maybe they're all a bunch of fucking i don't know like creeps from hostel with like murder basements and they just like to see people suffer right i'm gonna I provide I, the last thing i got is i want to provide a challenge to you real quick without you looking it up Okay. 1992, right? Okay. I want you to put yourself in the mindset in 1992. All right. All right. And I want you to I want you to move away from movies now, go to television. What one what was best comedy on television in 1992? And I'll I'll give you I'll give you a little bit of a hint if you're reluctant. A little bit. Is it Blossom? No. <laughs> It it was not. It was not. Uh, it was not Blossom. Blossom was not nominated um, at all. Well, in '92, uh, I'm I'm 15 years old, so I'm not watching much television. Well, you Give still know. Okay, so the the lead actor and actress both also won. Um, is it Cheers? That's a good guess, but no. Is the Wings? Um, um no wings was not no, i don't know if wings was ever is it mad wings. about you no that's a good that's another good guess um because those although uh paul riser is not nominated that year is cheers ted dan women uh no so cheers you were close because cheers like dancing and ally were both nominated that year um for that and made about you helen hunt was but paul riser was not for paul riser i know uh let me think 92 it's a little later in the show's run 
it's a biggie. You're going to hate your. Oh, there, there actually is another couple that like uh, actor is and actress. Cosby show? No, uh, nobody from Cosby is nominated by this point. Which is interesting. You're going to kick yourself. Is it Night Court? Nope, nobody from Night Court's nominated. Is it Moonlighting? Moonlighting, I think, only lasted like three years. From right, like that was like three years before. 86 to like, yeah, like 89 or something. Comedies from that time. I'm going to say this comedy started in like maybe 87. Oh. Roseanne? Yes. Oh, yep. okay. Yeah, the other the other one that would have been close um, actually is Married with Children um, because Katie Segal and Ed O'Neill were both nominated that year as well. But See, John, John Goodman and Roseanne won. I feel like people like reviled uh, Married with Children. Uh, I think that's largely right. I mean, certainly like religious groups and stuff did. Um, but I just mean like, like I feel like that was stuff where. Like some people really loved Married with Children, but the majority of like whatever upstanding like my parents hated Married with Children. Mm, that's interesting. They didn't, they didn't even like me watching. Yeah, right. Yeah, there's a lot of parents that were like that. Like my mom, um, my mom stopped caring about what I watched, but um, she thought some of the stuff was funny, and she thought some of the stuff was stupid, and then she thought some of the stuff was probably, like, mildly, like, offensive. Like, you know, um, so she was, like, a really mixed bag with it, and she didn't watch it of her own choosing unless I wanted to. I know my wife, um, she does not like Married with Children whatsoever, like, um, and her mom, like, wouldn't let her watch it, and she, like, still, and she has watched it since, and does not like it. Um, and then I'm trying to think. I know, or oh, watched Married with Children. Yeah, I I watched it whenever I was allowed, but it wasn't mm-hmm. very often. I'm probably one of the. Yeah, I I, I want to say I probably seen every episode of Married with Children. Um, uh, I watched it religiously every week, and then even the later seasons where I got older, like I um, I probably seen them in re- repeats or something like that when it got really really bad, but um going back and watching it now like i really liked the first season maybe the first two seasons like the first season when they were still like a loving couple to some degree do you remember what i'm talking about no i really don't know it that well so they would end the episode like with them still like um being a unit at the end um early on in that show i think it's the first season maybe only that that would happen they'd always end up on the couch together and like they would still be a couple and like loving Um, and then, like, slowly it just turned into this, like, male versus female, like, battle the sexes type thing, like, over the course of the show. And, um, but I, I really liked the, the message initially, like, in that show. And then it's just, but there's still, I think, some funny stuff. But I get why people, like, disliked it. I mean, it's, it's really hateful in a lot of ways. But it's funny, like, what I remember. Yeah, there's there there's some of the things there's still things to this day that I reference like um you know once a year or something like that from that show and things that especially if I oh and I get talking about it um there's still some really great stuff like in that show but so let me say this because this flies completely in the face of like what we've been talking about mm-hmm. 
I really like sitcoms for the most part. Or I'm much more willing to give a sitcom a chance to enjoy it than I am like a full-length comedy movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I mean? Are. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I love, I mean, think of all the sitcoms that are comedies that I really enjoy, like 30 Rock, The Office, Parks and Rec, Community, um, mm-hmm. Arrested Development, uh, Seinfeld for a while when I was younger. Um, right. As much as it makes me uncomfortable, like, I think Curb Your Enthusiasm is brilliant. Mm-hmm. That comeback show with um, Lisa oh, Kudrow, yes, I thought was yeah. amazing, mm-hmm. even though it made me uncomfortable too. Mm-hmm. Like, I'll sit there and laugh my ass off at a 30 minute long sitcom, but man, like, I swear to God, like, I just can't take it. Yeah. Like, yeah. in full length feature film form, because I think that I, and so maybe this is like going back to the original premise of this podcast, aside from like fucking talking about Nick Cage movies. Maybe this is the problem is that a comedy lets you learn a character's traits over the course of multiple episodes and multiple seasons. So like Dwight Schrute, for example, gains some minor level of complexity as a character where when he does things, you have history with him that makes you laugh at the things that he's doing. Right. Whereas like, you have 96 minutes to learn everything that you need to know about Nick Cage's character in Honeymoon in Vegas. And so they just go for like these cheap broad strokes to try and like draw you in and get you to recognize him as someone that like is similar to someone, you know, or recognize him as a character. And the problem is is there ain't no fucking character. It's just some goddamn bullshit. Sure. So, okay. And I know we've, we've talked about this on the primary podcast before because you did put it on a list when you were forced to do a comedy episode. So let, let's look at just something that we've talked about before, like the Crocodile Dundee, right? Like, or Uncle Buck, right? Um, you know, uh, or Axel Foley, Beverly Hills Cop, we talked about in that episode as well. Um, any of those characters, like, isn't it just come down to good screenwriting versus bad screenwriting? Because sure. those characters all get introduced and you know who they are within 10 minutes of, like, absolutely who they are within 10 minutes of the movie. So that, like, there's no question about who these people are. So that when you see that change or not, you know, or you just see them act like the same person that they already were um, and the other people change around them. Um like it's meaningful and it's like you can do that in 90 to 100 minutes um so it's just good screenwriting versus bad that's all it is like it doesn't mean the comedies are bad it's actually a good narrative right so beverly hills cop is a good movie that has one of the greatest comedic actors of all time like at his peak and has comedy elements but ultimately beverly hills cop is a it's an action comedy frank an action comedy right it's a thriller with a comedic element to it right i mean even fucking um crocodile dundee not one of the greatest not one of the great comedic actors of a generation but but still they establish who that guy is in the first like fucking what 13 minutes of that movie exactly well because paul hogan is paul hogan sure sure 
but you get you understand the sense of humor you know who he is you know what he can do like you know i mean all that kind of stuff i mean like it, it it's the thing that i always talk about with like indiana jones like right the raiders of the lost ark and that like opening being one of the greatest openings like i've ever seen in my entire life and we talked about that on the primary podcast as well with heaster and it's like because everything you need to know is packed into the first like you know 15 minutes of that movie about the character about the plot everything and that was like people that used to be able to write setups to movies like they understood how to use action to define character and establish them um and that's just something that's like got lost over time um just generally it's like the same thing we were talking about in the primary podcast this past week with Bledsoe um about Demolition Man right like I mean like it's like that there's a that's a that's an action comedy maybe like you know as well and it's like as maybe while that's not a stellar movie like what we ended up doing was actually out of that whole conversation was appreciating it right um because we 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 recognize that those things don't happen anymore (laughs) um and it's because screenwriting um in the old formula that we grew up with is a lost art i think um and i think that's for the worse not the better necessarily um especially when it comes to things like comedies because you don't have any fucking characters and sometimes there's just bad fucking screenwriters and with bad fucking ideas and i think that's just what one of these movies is so i don't think it's a statement on comedies it's a statement on many comedies and but there's good comedies out there that's all i'm saying okay i agree with that <laughs> all right just most of them are, are shit. I I don't disagree. I don't disagree, except for Interspace. Interspace is more of an adventure movie, though, with comedic elements. That's true. It, it, the action, sci-fi action, outweighs the comedy, even though it's comedy. Like, right. It's number four movie on my list. <laughs> number four movie on my list, with the order right. chosen by you. Right. Um, Whose list is it? Then, um, it's your world. I'm just living in it. Yeah. All right, cool. So okay. next week maybe it'll be a good quick cage. It's not, look. It's not. It's not. Don't bullshit these people, Frank. I'm looking at. I I, I, I have the list up. All look, right. I think Army of One is going to be good. I'm just saying. I I, I think I think you are. Fooling yourself. Ah, oh, Russell Brand and Nick Cage together. I mean, it's a fucking recipe <laughs> for success. That's um, why I'd never heard of this movie before I started researching how many of these fucking movies I got to watch. Look, do you understand? You have no. I don't think you have like, except for some of the animated movies, which are all going to pack into one episode. I don't. I've already you, watched all them, by the way. So right, okay. I think the only the only one that you have left that maybe maybe might be all right is deadfall no no uh maybe <laughs> like you i don't know i i've told you this so many times you have painted yourself into a corner like you have painted yourself into a corner where i think you are going to just watch mediocre to shitty movies pretty much from here on out and it's going to get super depressing well then we're all gonna fucking burn together so <laughs> You get what you get. Like, like the, like the, like the dead wife in um, honeymoon Vegas. Right, your your skin's gonna be like a goddamn satchel. 
I think I think I have another incident of skin cancer. Like you've only seen me a couple times, like recently, but yeah, I think I got another one. So I have melanoma right now. Well, way to way to raise the tenor of the podcast right at the end, buddy. <laughs> Should have more word copper tone. No copper tone. <clears throat> right. All right. You done? Today at work, a cicada flew into a woman's mouth. That's, really that's disgusting. Jesus. I laughed really hard. There's comedy. Get, get, get fucking Roger Zemeckis on the phone. Have him put that on film. Right. Yeah. Make a fortune. Uh, that's that's ridiculous. Yeah. I've only had two fly into me. And two land on me, I guess, too. But, like, two fly into me. Um but it's it's been good overall. One was flying at my face, and I reached out, and I gently just kind of like moved him to the mm-hmm. side, and he like flew into the trash can. Yeah, and yeah. then he landed on the ground, and then he got up on and flew away. There I was a that, there was a cicada the other day that um landed like dive bombed the porch, and where it dive bombed, it like ended up in a spider web, and it got caught in the spider web. And it was on its back, and it was, like, flailing all around. And it's, like, most people probably don't know. I despise bugs of any sort. Like, I'm terrified. I'm not terrified of them. I hate them. Like, um... You're terrified. Oh, spade spade. Okay, sure. Um, it depends on the type of bug, I guess. Like, those kind you of make things. You noises like, like this. Um, this depends on what type of bug. Um, mosquitoes just make me angry. But, um... So... I, I was actually kind and I went over and like used something to like disconnect it from the spider web. But then like it's like little legs were like all like wrapped up in the spider web too. Like it was like a like it was like a like a Spider-Man movie or something. Um yeah. and um and I, what am I gonna do? Like surgically like remove like um you know the spider web from like its little legs. Um so then I was like left in a dilemma of like, do I like, you know, kill this thing and put it out of its misery or do I um, just let it sit there and like die? Um, so that was, that was something. Uh, what do you think I did? I think you probably killed it. Yeah, I did. <clears throat> I can't watch anything suffer. That's too You're a humanitarian. You know, what can you say? Yeah. Except for I watch human beings suffer all day and just, get annoyed or laugh but animals different they can't help it right cicadas are like little bug dogs right right sure <laughs> stupid okay. and ungainly and right they just want to run into you <laughs> bat you with their head all fucking fists and elbows <laughs> I knew All that right, was cool. coming too. I, 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 I knew that was coming. There's All another right. sitcom that I love. Stranger of Candy. Great sure. sitcom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's in the hall. Great sketch comedy show. Like, you know, like right. I, I, I like short comedic things where the comedy is in a burst and then it just goes away. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a gusher, you know? Like, you just eat it, it pops, and then it's gone. Yeah. You know, like gushers? Gushers are I delicious. T- I didn't like that description. I, <laughs> but okay, yes. Like eating a right. cicada too. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Just a crunch and a pop and then you move on with your life. All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good night.